In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verse 21 through 6, verse 6. Our selection for today opens with Jairus, a desperate synagogue leader seeking Jesus' help to save his dying daughter. Amid this urgent mission, a miraculous encounter with a woman who has suffered from a chronic ailment for 12 years takes center stage, illustrating the profound impact of unwavering faith. Then the passage culminates with Jesus' return to his hometown of Nazareth, where his wisdom and authority face resistance and disbelief from those who knew him as a young carpenter. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Monday, October 30th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. My guest for this morning uh, is the Reverend Christopher Morandi, pastor of St. John Lutheran Church in Hastings, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in Oakland, Iowa. Good morning, Pastor, and welcome back to the program. It's a great joy to be with you today. Oh, I'm so excited. I know you're very busy. Uh, we had you last on with Samuel, and uh, we talked a little bit about some of the work that you're doing out there. Could you explain to folks a little bit about um, your project out there with the, uh, with the farm and everything going on? I know they'd be interested in hearing an update. Great. Uh, yes, I, so I, I'm glad to serve as the director of the Lutheran Institute of Regenerative Agriculture, and you can find out more about us at www.lutheransplural.inag.org. And so you can check our website and look at our YouTube page and all that, uh, all those sorts of things. Uh, what we're doing is here in the hills of Southwest Iowa, we're establishing a place where the young people, the church, and then hopefully, you know, as years go on, expanding it to, to helping, assisting others as well, but especially the young people, the church, to learn how to raise their own food to provide for themselves, for their families, for their communities, for their congregations, and for the world at large uh, through you know small-scale agricultural techniques. So we've been working furiously here on our property, trying to get this place whipped into shape and ready to start accepting students, which may start happening as soon as next year. And uh, we've, we're working on the, the farmhouse. My wife and I are gonna do more work on that this afternoon, and uh, we're working on that for our family. And then we're working on the barn on the property, turning into essentially dormitory space uh, for student workers and other guests to come, come and stay as they as they learn. And uh, we we've made tremendous progress. That barn is almost all kind of cleared out. We've started laying floor, and uh, we'll start putting up walls maybe in the next month. And so we're trying to establish a place where young people can come and learn. And while we're doing that, we're doing the farm stuff. So we're getting. Uh, garden systems, livestock systems, all that set into place. So a lot of exciting things happen. We've had a lot of guests and visitors come through. So def definitely come and check out our website, lutheransinag.org, and you can learn a lot more. That's excellent. Yeah, I'm on your website right now, and I see a nice picture of you and your family and lots of information there. Folks, yeah, go check that out. I think that's great. But our topic for today, um, I don't think has anything to do with agriculture, <laughs> but it does have to do with uh, some amazing miracles by our Lord Jesus. Uh, before we get into Mark 5, or at least the rest of Mark 5, would you please start our time together with a word of prayer? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are the great physician of body and soul. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would 
Be among us with your healing hand that you would heal all those with infirmities and diseases, that you would continue to drive far away from us the evil foe. As we study your word, you, we see you revealed as a God of love, a God of compassion. We pray, O oh Lord, that that compassion would always be poured out upon us. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I think there is nothing to do but to get into the text. And um, so we our text begins with the words, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. Well, this obviously means that we're kind of in the middle of a narrative. So if, brother, you wouldn't mind, just catch us up. Like, where is Jesus? What's going on? Maybe someone didn't turn in yesterday. Uh, what is he, where is he at that, that the events that are about to take place um, will uh, make sense? Yeah, it's, it's very fascinating. And all, all four Gospels, I believe, have the feeding of the 5,000. And, uh, and, and then the crossing of the, no, I, I apologize. I'm, I'm thinking of the wrong crossing of the sea. Uh, <laughs> Jesus is, uh, it just got done calming the storm and then they go across the sea to the land of the Gerasenes and, uh, there, there drives out, uh, the, the man who had the unclean spirit, the man who was living among the tombs. So on the, they're on the other side, the non, say the non-Jewish, uh, Decapolis type area. They're on that side. And then get back in the boat and head back over to the other side. So G Jesus is, is going around doing miracles. He did a demonstration of power over nature with calming the storm. And then he, uh, then he drove out Satan with the, the healing of a demon-possessed man. And now we see him going after disease. And we, those are kind of, if you think about the three different ways that, that Jesus does miracles, is, is power over nature, uh, power over the demons, and then, and then healing miracles. And even those healing miracles, as Jesus himself connects, it is really about his ability to forgive sins. Because mm -hmm. I, I would say that the, and the Bible says, I should, should clarify, that, you know, death and all the consequences thereof, which means sickness and illness, those things are just the symptoms of death, I'm afraid. Uh, but they're all as a result of sin. So we see Jesus uh, and his, his powerful love for the people in these miracles. Uh, let's go ahead and read more of our text then. I'm going to start uh, officially now with Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet, and he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and she was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. 
And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. All right, we're going to pause there. So that's through verse 34. And so uh, we have basically the overarching account is going to be Jesus and Jairus' daughter, and then we have this woman with the flow of blood right here in the middle. Uh, Starting at the top, take us through this, and uh, what can we learn? So it's very fascinating uh, this is it, some people call this the Markin sandwich, um, which is a little bit different than a Reuben, but uh, <laughs> but still pretty tasty. And so you, you have you have two accounts that are that are broken up by another account. And so we have and 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 you can think of of when this happened. I mean, imagine being Jairus, and he goes and he asks for help from our Lord. Goes to the right person, right place, right time, and Jesus says, "Okay, I'm gonna come," and he goes. And then we have this interruption. And you can think about the angst that, that has to be fill, fee, filling Jairus. I mean, Jairus went to the right guy. The right guy is coming. He's going to heal his daughter, his little girl. And then there's a delay. Then there's a delay. Uh, but before we get into that delay, I, I think I, think I want to emphasize something you said earlier, that, that these connections between all the different ways that Jesus exudes his miraculous power. We have the... the uh, Calming of the storm, the power over nature, power over Satan, power over disease. It's all one. <laughs> this is all the effects of sin. And he's come to do battle with them. And he says he will do it. He's going to go with Jairus and do it. Um, I would also point out perhaps the 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 means by which Christ is going to do it. Uh, what, at least what Jairus asks him to do. Um, My little daughter's at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her that she may be made well and live. So we have a... Uh, he's asking Jesus to be incarnate, <laughs> so to speak. I mean, a, 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 this is a God with hands. This is a God right. with flesh that can lay hands upon a uh, upon a little girl and make her alive. So that we, the, Jairus wants the incarnate Lord uh, to come, and Jesus does come, but there's a little bit of a hang-up. Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of folks will will question about him going to Jesus. So so like who is Jairus that he would have even heard about Jesus and would would even try to put his faith in Jesus's abilities. I mean, it says one of the rulers of the synagogue. So we might because we know about the animosity between the rulers of the synagogue and Jesus, we might think um, that this guy would he'd be the last person that would go to Jesus. Uh, but perhaps that speaks of his desperation. Yeah, per- perhaps a desperation. You also get hints hints in the gospel. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember now where, you know, someone who's who's the wife of a, the manager of Herod's household or something. I can't remember. I think that's in Luke. So, so you have these indications of people. I mean, generally, Jesus appeals to kind of the, the poorer masses. But you also get indications every once in a while uh, that there are those who are maybe a little bit higher up on the social strata. Uh, that uh, that put their trust in him for for one reason or another, and perhaps it des- it's desperation. But he knows who to go to, and and Jesus is having influence even on those uh, who who may uh, who, who we may not expect. Those who all his compadres, all his all his uh, fellow uh, synagogue rulers, most of them may be opposed to Jesus, but this one has at least he ha- he has faith. 
Well, and that's true, because we also have Joseph of Arimathea, and we have others who sometimes secretly, sometimes more openly, we see in the Gospels that they do have faith in Jesus, or a budding and growing faith in Jesus, and uh, perhaps, you know, that's the case too. I would hate to just sort of put a, a negative connotation on it. But I think what is really emphasized here, though, by Jairus, Jairus going to him, and I, and I love how you pointed out that, you know, he's the right time, right place, and, and Jesus even says, says, okay, yeah, that's great. Well, I'll go, you know, and, and he went with him. Now, I'm not actually sure if it means that Jairus went with Jesus or Jesus went with him, but regardless, um, they're, they're now going to go and take care of this. And, and imagine the relief. You said anxiousness, and that's there too, but imagine the relief he had the instant Jesus said, yeah, let's go. And then we have this interruption, right? Then there's great, everybody's pressing upon Jesus. For him just to get to Jesus anyway through the crowd is almost miraculous, mm-hmm. and everybody's now pressing against him, and now we have this woman, this woman with the discharge of blood. And, and she doesn't interrupt Jesus. She just... Her faith says, I'm just going to touch him, and, and I know I'll be healed, but still, it puts a pause in the action. And, and so, like I said, I like how you emphasized how Jairus is now probably, you know, oh, okay, that's great, but remember what you said, let's go, let's go. I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah, yeah, you can you can kind of picture him just standing there trying to be patient, uh, try, but, but it's his daughter. I mean, we all, you know, any of us who, who have children or grandchildren, uh, we— we know what this angst is like. I mean, the worst thing in the world for a parent is to see their child child ill, uh, even even a minor illness. And so for him to have been given that promise, Jesus is coming, he's coming, and then we got to wait. We got to wait. And, you know, <laughs> Psalm 27, uh, wait for the Lord. Be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. And uh, that was what Jairus was called upon to do. He was called upon to wait on the Lord, as we do many times and uh, in our own lives. Well, as we also do in a broad sense, too. I mean, think of the early apostles and disciples to whom Jesus said, I'm coming soon, and many of them said, hey, okay, I can't wait. I'll see you whenever you come back real soon. And we know, of course, as the disciples began to die, people got worried that that they wouldn't be able to be around for Jesus to come back. And so we have some comforting words from Paul about that about not to grieve as others who have no hope. But still, the truth is, Jesus said, I'll be back. And here we are a couple thousand years later, and we're all saying, you know, we're, we're a little bit like Jairus sometimes. We're like, we, you know, you, you said you'd come back, and you said you'd heal all of our diseases and no more tears and new heavens, new earth, and, and we have to be patient. But that's, that's really hard. And, and I, yeah, so in a little microcosmic way, that's what Jairus is going through. Yeah, and and I think you you and I both as pastors, you know, we, <laughs> I, I mean, most of us as pastors generally don't just have one person who's sick <laughs> at the at the same sure. time. I mean, generally the the prayer list has multiple people on. Sometimes we're visiting several people, uh, maybe at the same hospital, and and so you have people who are who are praying for healing, asking for healing. Sometimes it's difficult for one person who is desperately crying out for healing to see another person, another member of the body of Christ who uh, seems to be healed a lot quicker and suddenly they're headed home and I'm still here. I'm still at the hospital or I'm still dealing with this, this chronic complaint. So again, we're, we're called upon to be patient, wait on the Lord's timing. 
Well, let's now move into the interruption, which is from this woman. And uh, a great crowd uh, followed him, thronged about him. This woman with a discharge of blood for 12 years. So I, <clears throat> I think most people understand this to be a, a menstrual discharge of blood that just hasn't stopped and for 12 years. But, brother, there's more than just the pain and 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 discomfort of having a constant menstruation um this uh this 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 is a little deeper problem for this woman isn't it yes because because she is ceremonially unclean uh according to god's right. law so she cannot participate fully in the life of her people or or especially the worship life of her people and she hasn't been able to do so for 12 years so this is this is a spiritual concern uh, for her and for her people. So, so it's, it's not only, you know, this, this is not no ordinary healing, we'll say a uh, very similar in a sense, perhaps to when Jesus heals, uh, lepers. All right. Right. Because we have this, um, we have this sort of dynamic where God has established his good and gracious law has rules and regulations around worship and uncleanliness is a part of it. And if you, let's say back to the woman, if you are um, having your menstruation, you would then go uh, outside the, the gates or you would, you would remain separated from, from worship for a short period of time, right? For five to seven days. But in this case, she's this constantly and chronically ceremonially unclean, so she can't go. Of course, Jesus is going to have mercy on her. We know that. But we just talked about folks who are in the hospital, but we could also talk about homebound and others who, like perhaps this woman, earnestly desire to be in the house of the Lord, but because of an ailment, cannot. So really, we still have these issues today. It may not be 12 years of, of, of a flow of blood, but it might be all kinds of ailments that genuinely keep God's people who desperately desire to be in worship away from it. And so I guess there's a message for us about having compassion and mercy on them too. Yeah, I, I think, you know, our dear shut-ins, uh, and maybe maybe some some of you folks who are listening today are are those who are not able to make it to worship. Uh they I think they have a lot to teach us because they have they have such a hunger and a thirst for God's word that uh sometimes us able-bodied people <laughs> uh have trouble have trouble having. And uh so so I think they have so much to demonstrate and show us. Uh, I, I think a valuable thing uh, sometimes can be taking a, uh, another member along to see that hunger and thirst from a shut-in member, in addition to uh, including each other in the body of Christ. And I know some pastors who have taken, I've never done this, but I know some pastors who have taken confirmation students along on shut-in calls for that, that same purpose, so that they can see that example of faith and especially that hunger and thirst that a, that a dear saint has for the word of God and his body and blood. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, um, but there have been situations where I've had folks who are shut in and I go and visit them and they, you know they express all the same things you've been talking about, their desire to be there, and they genuinely can't. And I have to constantly reassure them that it's my great pleasure to bring to them the sacrament. And they're certainly grateful, but you know, they know that there's the fellowship they're missing out on. And then I have to say, I get a little consternated when abled, well-bodied people, right? Well-abled-bodied people um, so callously just dismiss their ability to be in worship. 
and I see that juxtaposed sometimes and just, yeah, I have to say it just, it irks me. It really does. Um, but at the same time, sometimes it's when you don't have the ability to do something that it becomes all the more important. Sure. You know, those who are shut in may have themselves been at one time not very faithful, and now they realize what they ha- are missing out on. And so I, I think that I think the idea of taking confirmands or catechumens or or uh, you know anybody really who might want to help and visit those who are homebound uh, that's such a valuable thing. Not only do they get the people who are homebound access to more of the saints in their community, but also of course those saints get to witness. Uh, these people to whom we really uh, have to take care of. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing uh, to to see, and and you're I I think you're you're spot on where there are some people who didn't realize how much they wanted the gifts of God until they suddenly are unable to be there, and and you know the Lord sometimes wakes us up like that. Uh, he, um, you know takes things away in order to show us how important they are. And uh, so to see that hunger and thirst and, you know, the, I, I don't know if you've ever had where, you know, you have a shut in for a long time and then finally just, uh, you know, very special occasion, the nursing home or family, it's a big event, get them to church on a Sunday. Um, oh, yes. And that's, that's a really cool thing. Uh, when that's able to happen, uh, it, it, but again, that that and and that's also quite an example to the people, the uh, the rest of the people in church on that Sunday, uh, to see that hunger and thirst, and that's that's what this woman had. She she desperately right. desired to be close to Jesus. So, in addition to her inability, uh, ceremonially anyway, to worship the Lord, it says that she suffered un- uh, much, suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had. And was no better, but rather grew worse. That gives us a little insight into what she's been going through, because I think the medical profession at this time isn't going to be the same as ours today, uh, nor will ours today be probably uh, as the same as it will be uh, 2,000 years from now if the Lord doesn't return yet. But the point is, there were a lot of probably painful and evidently expensive treatments. Another thing that I think many, many saints of, uh, of ours could identify with, people who have gone into great debt, bankruptcy even, uh, and still aren't getting better. We obviously think of things like uh, um, uh, terminal cancers and other things that just really deprive people of both their well-being and their finances. And so looky here, here we have the same thing going on 2,000 years ago. And, and, and not to make light of those things, but this woman, it took her to the point where she had basically had no money and no other option, and then she turned to Jesus. And that's always my encouragement to people is don't wait so long to turn to Jesus. Don't wait till you're at, you know, you're completely broke and have no other help. But verse 27 says she heard the reports about Jesus. So evidently the news is getting around that Jesus Mm -hmm. can heal. And I think that's what's bringing them there. Is it faith that he's the Messiah? I would say probably not yet, but certainly that he's somebody special. So I think it even speaks to the idea that sometimes people have to, actually most of the time, people, uh, faith is a journey. It's not just uh, they wake up one day and say, oh, I, I understand everything about Christ. But anyway. Yeah, and and yeah, I, what, I don't want to be taken the wrong way here, but, and so I'm going to kind of temper what I was originally going to say, but the, even if the impulse is not quite right, <laughs> the, 
to have that person come to the Lord and, and desperate desire for his gifts, that the Lord is going to bless that. Um, and so you have this crowd of people, you know, they have imperfect knowledge, imperfect faith, uh, imperfect conceptions of what and who this Jesus is, uh, but they're there. And there they're going to be the, the Holy, we got to trust the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to do his work. He's going to work through the word and work through the preaching of Jesus. And, and for many, unfortunately, not all, but for many of those who throng around Jesus for perhaps some of the wrong reason or partially wrong reasons. And uh, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always have the most pure motives either for going to church. Um, but the Lord's word is there and the Lord's word does its work. And it, uh, and, and it can take these imperfect motivations and, and still, and yet create faith. And that's what happened yeah. to many, again, not, not all, mm -hmm. but to many of those who thronged around Jesus, including this woman, your faith has made you well, is the punchline of this, of this little incident. Right. No, absolutely. And I think you've made the point I was trying to make, but much better than I am. And that is that we have to be careful about um, insisting upon a perfect understanding, a perfect faith, so to speak, because we're A, all imperfect, which is absolutely true. And B, and, and this is the phrase I like to use, no one's saved by their perfect doctrine. <laughs> no one. Um, also, because no one has perfect doctrine. You know, I think, uh, obviously, our confessions are as close as we're going to get this side of Jesus' return, which is why you know I uh, confess them. But at the same time, I absolutely believe that we're going to get to heaven and go, oh, okay, okay, yeah, our bad on that. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, what saves us is the faith that the Holy Spirit gives us in Jesus. And so even that imperfect faith that this woman might might be expressing, it's still enough of a faith, so to speak, for her to be healed. Of course, the healing comes from Jesus. But And we're going to talk about that when we come back from the break, about what exactly it means that your faith heals you so that people don't get the wrong idea. But yeah, I think that we as LCMS Lutherans who pride ourselves, and rightly so, on, on our doctrine and our confessions, I think sometimes we hold other people to a standard that we don't hold ourselves to. Yeah, and the the this again is what the the faithful, you know, uh, we keep going back to the shut-ins and the infirm, and that's great because that's that's really I, I'm glad we're talking a lot about them today. But again, that's that's what they teach us. Uh, that's what the dear saints of God, you know, we we come out of seminary with a lot of knowledge and, and hopefully hopefully still our faith intact too. And then right. we go into these these uh, sitting rooms with dear saints who have that childlike faith. And it puts me to shame. It really does. The, these, the, the strong faith that they have, that they cling to their Lord Jesus. Uh, they may not know all the things that I, that I re regurgitated on a seminary test, but they have that strong, firm, unshakable faith in their Savior, which, again, that puts me to shame, encourages me, uh, and, and gives me just a blessed example. Well, as they say, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's, uh, that's what we try to do. We try to be there for people. Jesus does that. He cares for this woman long before he you know, publicly examines her. <laughs> but I tell you what, we're going to take a break, folks. Don't go anywhere. We're going to come back, and we're going to keep on going through Mark chapter 5, probably picking up around 27 again. Folks, we'll see you on the other side.
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me this morning is the Reverend Christopher Morandi, pastor of St. John Lutheran Church in Hastings, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in Oakland, Iowa. Dear saints, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us in God's Word. Now, if you have any questions or comments, don't forget, you can reach out to me by email at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Just search for Phil Boo. You'll know it's me when you see me. There's a couple of us out there. You can also drop a note to say hi when you write, but you know what? If you write, please let me know where you're listening from and how you connect to the show because there are so many different ways. You can connect over the air. Maybe you're listening live in the St. Louis area or you're streaming live at kfuo.org. A lot of folks will listen as a podcast. If you subscribe to the show as a podcast, let me know. Tell me which podcasting platform that you're using because, you know, there's all kinds of them out there. But I tell you what, the best way to connect to the show, if you want my personal opinion, is through the KFUO radio app on your phone. You can download that for iOS and Android. Just uh, check it out in the Play and uh, App Store. Well, back to the Bible, because that's why we're here. Pastor, before the break, you know, we... We're trying to connect this to some of the things of today, you know, the homebound, the shut-ins, um, even ourselves, uh, but maybe getting back to the, the narrative and the, the time in which it's happening. You know, verse 27, it says, She had heard the reports about Jesus, came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And then, and then Mark tells us, Immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Now, I have to say, I've, I've, when I previously taught this or read this or talked to people about it, some people will question that. They'll say, well, how could she just, how, do, how can she just feel that she was healed? Well, I think that's kind of a silly, <laughs> I think that's kind of a silly objection because um, I think the ladies out in the audience would probably tell you exactly why, because She's having 12 years of menstrual pains and blood flow, and so she would have known that she was healed. Not to mention the fact that um, what, what happens is miraculous. She doesn't talk to Jesus. She doesn't ask him to heal her. She just barely—actually, um, hold on. If I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. Uh, we presume that she's touched his garments, but I just realized it doesn't actually say that she did. Yeah, I, I guess I guess you're right. I guess we do assume that assume that she actually she actually did that. Uh, uh, well, it does yeah. There in verse 27 it says I, and be and touched his garment. There it is. Oh, does it? Uh, oh, there we go. And, Sorry, yeah, <laughs> I no, I got a little confused as I was reading because I thought, wait a minute. And and so you know, it, and it, to me it's fascinating because I don't know. Does she have any evidence that touching Jesus's garments makes anyone well? I don't think so. Uh, but she right. she has such faith in this Jesus. Uh, that that she believes that even just touching something touched by him uh, is going to mm -hmm. 
is going to bring her healing. And I think there's such a such a contrast here, and it's not necessarily a, a contrast between bad and good by any means, but there's a contrast between the boldness of Jairus and the humility of this woman. Um, mm -hmm. And so the Jairus it just comes right up to Jesus and asks, and maybe that's a, a result of his position, certainly. Um, but boldness in prayer, boldness in going to God, that's certainly to be com commended. This woman comes in humility. Now, that, again, that's partially part of her social situation and her theological position as being someone who's unclean. Uh, so she does want to come up furtively, secretly. Um, but it also teaches us something, too. It teaches us the, the value of humility uh, before our Lord. But what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't let her remain anonymous. Um, and just like I, you could say there's no such thing as an anonymous Christian. Um, you know, sometimes Christians have to be underground in situations of persecution, that sort of thing. But generally, Christians are not, you know, made Christians and then sent off into the woods to be by themselves and hide. Uh, again, sometimes there are situations where, where that's necessary. But uh, in most situations, a, a Christian is called upon to confess. And Jesus kind of seeks her out so that she can confess. Yeah, and, and that's an interesting aspect, too, because as we look, and now I definitely see where she actually touches his garment. In fact, uh, Matthew and Luke make it a little bit more specific that she touched just the fringe of his mm -hmm. garment. Um, and I don't know how much hay to make of that. But at the same time, she's coming up behind him. And then if we also get this image of her kind of grasping as he's moving and she just kind of grasps just barely gets the fringe of his garment. Now, I understand that I'm speculating, but trying to put this uh, into my mind, then, yeah, is she coming up behind him because of her humility? I think so. It, is it a little bit practicality because he's moving away? Probably. But at the same time, she's certainly wanting to not... <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm thinking of my grandmother, my late grandmother, who's with the Lord now, and, and I'm thinking of her... She used to always say, oh, I don't want to be a burden. Anybody, anytime anybody wanted to help her out, oh, I didn't, I don't want to be a burden. And so maybe that's a part of it too. It's this like, well, I, I, I need this. I want this. He can provide it, but, you know, who am I to bother him? And, and so that's that humility that you're talking about. But yeah, Jesus will not stand for it. He, he perceives in himself, the scriptures say, that power had gone out from him immediately he turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Now, the disciples make a good point when they say, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. <laughs> um, but there's two things I think that people trip over at this section. One, did Jesus's power leave him without his control? Because that's kind of how it reads. And of course, Jesus should know who touched his garment. And, and I think you and I would might agree that he did know, but... But still, so maybe hash those out for us. How can Jesus's power just be taken out from him without his permission, so to speak? <laughs> I I think it. I don't think it means without without his will. It just simply means he he know power has gone out. Uh, so the it, I I think the the picture that certainly the disciples had and that you get on a surface reading is of a confused rabbi trying to figure out what what just happened here. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, where I would go is actually Genesis chapter three. Uh, when God asks questions that he already knows the answer to, uh, why is he doing that? Well, he's doing that to elicit something from us. That's why he uh, 
asked Adam, where are you? That's why he asked, uh, what have you done? Have you eaten of the fruit that I command you not to eat? So it's the same reason why he asked, who touched my garments? He, he, wants, he wants to see her come clean. Um, you're right, though. That it, it is a little mysterious that he perceived that power power goes out from him. Um, but Jesus does nothing. I mean, he's God. He doesn't do anything without uh, without without his will to help and heal. And you can think, too, there, there had to be purpose behind it, because if a hundred people are touching him off and on as he's walking, not all of them were healed. Uh, just this one woman right, who that's had the big this desire to come up and touch his garment. Only she is healed. Uh, so there is, there's a purpose here behind this. But has this not led to, or I should say not this because it's um, God's word, but has a misunderstanding of this not led to some pretty false doctrines and practices? I mean, people who, well, the whole practice of relics is based on sure. this similar concept sure. that something yeah. that is either a part of a, a saint or touched them or was with them in those different degrees, uh, you know, it's been developed over the centuries. But the, the point is not everyone, as you rightly said, not everyone who's touching Jesus, and it's a lot of people, are just magically getting healed. Uh, and secondly, um, you know, Jesus's response is to her faith. At the same time, just as faith is not a matter of name and claim it, it also, we can't say, well, when someone isn't healed, it's because they had an insufficient faith. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was uh, I was invited to visit a young lady in the hospital uh, at one of my congregations, not a member, not even a Christian so far as I know, but somebody in my congregation, she was, I think, 17. She had stage three leukemia. And I went and visited her uh, as a favor to someone. And as I'm talking with her, she explained that the hospital chaplain had come in and told her that the reason why she wasn't getting better is because she didn't have enough faith. And they use examples like this, daughter, your faith has made you well, as if it's the strength of her faith that caused her to be healed. Uh, I guess help me and the, and the rest of the audience understand why the, the level of faith is not about what is healing her, and we can't blame insufficient faith for the lack of healing. Help us understand Jesus' relationship with her faith and the, and the healing that she received. Yeah, that, that hospital chaplain kind of sounded like Job's friends all rolled into one. Um, yeah, I kind of wanted to go have a talk with him, but I thought better about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, that's actually where I often turn, uh, because that's the argument in the book of Job, is Job is constantly telling his friends, I did not commit a specific sin to deserve this. Uh, he says, I'm a sinner, but I did not, you know, I didn't do something wrong to earn all this. That happened to me and and all his friends continue i mean obviously the book goes on for chapters and chapters of them going in circles but his friends continue to uh pound home their theology which is uh righteous people good people don't suffer wicked people suffer so if you are suffering you must be wicked figure out how you're wicked repent of it and you'll be better um and and unfortunately that that sort of thing is the sort of thing that crushes faith that destroys faith. Now, she has been made well, and she's been made well in that she has believed. And let me, I want to check the Greek here. Does, does Mark use, uh, yes, he does. Okay, so he, he uses zodzo, which is the Greek word for, for salvation. Your faith has saved you. Uh, so, you know, in, in a sense, um, I might even... Uh, put forth the argument that that perhaps Jesus is not talking about the fact that her flow of blood was dried up at all. 
that instead she she has been saved. Uh, she has been delivered from sin, death, and the power of the devil, the devil through faith. Um, and then he's going to give this healing. Not everyone, and and not everyone in in Israel was healed by Jesus. In, not even all believers were. Uh, St. Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh, which may have been a physical malady. We're not entirely sure. Uh, and how the Lord said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to remove that from you. Um, so just because someone believes and even has the, the greatest faith, the faith that moves mountains, so to speak, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to, going to be healed. Yet, uh, certainly, Jesus does bestow his, his gifts, including healing, uh, upon his faithful. And any time that we, that we are healed, in fact, any time we make it home from the store without, you know, getting in a, in a car accident, uh, we give thanks to the Lord who, uh, who, who has preserved us, who has saved us, who has, who has kept us uh, in, in, in both the true faith and, and also preserved our physical life. So, you know, faith, faith the, dy the dynamics between faith and healing are, are complex in the sense that faith is not a direct line to healing, yet Christ does bestow his, his, his uh, healing grace upon believers, and believers should give thanks to God whenever it happens. Well, it's interesting that you brought up that she uses the word sozo uh, to save or deliver because that's actually the very word that Jairus uses too when he's talking about yeah. his daughter. Yeah. In verse yeah. 23, when he says, my little daughter is at the point of death, come and lay hands on her so that she may be made well and live. It actually is so that she yeah. may be sozoed, right? So that she may be saved or delivered. Yeah. Um, why the ESV doesn't just translate it that way, I'm, I'm sure they have their reasons. But in any case, um, knowing that, I really does connect to it because it's, it's as you said, this dynamic between uh, uh, faith and healing is similar to the dynamic between the, uh, the fact that uh, illness is a consequence of sin. And yeah. so even being healed is, you know, which is easier to say. <laughs> your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and go home. And, and that's, and, I think, what we're running into. And, and I think that's why if you go to James and in, is it James chapter three, I can't remember, James two, maybe, uh, where he gives actually the only pastoral instructions in the New Testament for going to a sickbed are in the book of James. Oh, okay. And and what he calls on the pastors to do, he said, when, when you're sick, call the pastors, the elders of the church. And when they come... Uh, they they are to forgive sins. They're, they're to lay hands. They're to anoint with oil, and they are to they are to forgive sins. Um, and so that there is this tight connection, kind of mysterious because it's not like a silver bullet magic thing. But there is this connection between sure. faith and confession and absolution and and physical physical malady. And I think even secular people recognize this though for the wrong reasons they understand that a person who is at peace in their soul is pr is going to be in much better shape as far as their physical health um but uh, we we would we would say much more than that of course well i tell you what why don't we move on to the next section because well we have a little bit more to cover today because jesus uh says to her in verse 34 Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? 
But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which, said, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Okay. So that's the end of chapter 5. And so it is this interesting tale so far, right, where Jesus is out there. This ruler comes up. He says, heal my daughter. He's like, all right, let's do it. And then we've been talking about the woman with the flow of blood. And as you pointed out at the beginning, this whole time, even in our whole discussion, right, uh, Jairus is like, hey, 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 come on, let's go, let's go. And then, well, at his healing of this young woman, he, the Jairus gets news that his daughter is dead. Uh, take us through this, because Jesus, uh, some interesting things happen from this. Yeah, so, I mean, he Jesus is delayed long enough that now now the girl has died. So his greatest fear has has come true. And, uh, I, you know, you, you think about it, you know, how much time did it take for him to address this one with the flow of blood? But the 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 indication from the text is that delay was enough time for her to expire. So uh, the daughter's dead. And of course, the servants are like, well, there's not really any any trouble, a reason to trouble uh, the the teacher anymore. But he says, do not fear, only believe. So we have this strong theme of faith running through. Do, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? And if you do, then he's not just some random miracle worker uh, going around doing some healing. He's, he's not a doctor or whatever, but or a magician, but he is the Messiah. And if so, then even death cannot halt his his healing and restoring hand. Um, we we have kind of the theme of secrecy here, so that we have throughout Mark. And so just get the that inner core, uh, Peter, James, and John, bring them up. And uh, <laughs> Jesus says, "Why are you weeping?" Now it's it's really fascinating to me is because in John chapter eleven, it is Jesus himself who weeps, even though he knows in just a few minutes he's going to raise Lazarus up. Here he mildly, gently rebukes their weeping because the child is not dead. She is only sleeping. And that's certainly one of the beautiful names of death that scripture give us, that, that she is sleeping. If she is sleeping, she's going to get up. And certainly all those who die in faith are going to get up. Uh, but this girl's going to get up a lot quicker. Well, you said that he you know, gently chastises the people. I wonder if it's a little less gently because some commentators, and I tend to agree, because of their, I guess, quick shift, when they when he says the child is not dead but sleeping, verse 40 says they laughed at him. So going from loudly wailing and mourning to laughing is pretty pretty hard maybe. So so some people have suggested that they're professional mourners sure. um, yeah. because of Jairus's position. They would be there just to... So he basically kind of kicks them out, especially after they start laughing at him for his for his abilities. Um, 
I don't know. Is that something that you would contend? Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see that. Um, if it's the relatives that are weeping, then, then he, I would think, would be a <laughs> though Jesus can be uh, <laughs> yes, pretty strong-willed. Uh, in and especially in Mark's gospel, we see that side of him. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I can see that if if these are the the those who are just making a show, then yeah, get them out of here. The the, the trappings of mourning are not needed uh, because I've come to raise the dead. Do you think there's any significance at all to the fact that the woman had 12 years of bleeding and this girl happens to be 12 years of age? Yeah, I, I, I think that's a that's a tremendous symmetry here. Um, of course, 12 is a, a biblical number, uh, refers to the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles, so it's the church, the people of God. Uh, I think there is significance that this woman's ailment, the first woman's ailment, began uh, right around the same time that this child was born. And so you, you, you see the symmetry here between these two healings. Um, and certainly that, you know, the number 12, uh, they, they stand in for all of God's people who are healed, uh, by our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, and so I think we should move on to our next section. Um, I don't think we have the time to do it justice, but I definitely want to tackle it before we move on. I think I've bitten off a little too much for us to chew this morning, but we're going to move into chapter six and go ahead and hit the first six verses. Here we go. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him, and Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about or among the villages teaching. All right, so that's the end of our section, uh, all of our texts for today. This is one that has really tripped people up and, and people have struggled with. Um, I have to kind of laugh a little bit, though, because... Uh, it reminds me of Paul who says, uh, I'm glad that I baptized no one. Well, except for all these people I baptized. <laughs> <laughs> and then here it says he could do no mighty work there. Wow. Well, he did lay his hand on a few sick people and healed them. <laughs> so he did do mighty works there. Uh, but obviously the point is greater than, you know, the specifics of what Jesus did or didn't do. Jesus is making a point here, which I think continues to this day, and that is, because of their close relationship with him, they couldn't see him for who he was, his own family. Yeah, it, it, I guess if Jesus would have been a conspiracy, um, you know, trying to, trying to make himself out to be something he was not, well, then I would, you would think all the, all the local boys would be in, in on it. So, yeah, I think this kind of, this kind of shows that he, he's beyond what, what they could have expected. Um, and, and yeah, that familiarity, it's... It doesn't, I, what I love about that detail that you point out is that it does not derail him. He still does a few mighty works, um, but he, he ends up moving on. They're, they're, too, they're too familiar with him. And, and we learn later on, now certainly his brothers and, and his other relations are not uh, mentioned directly. The crowd mentions them. They're, they're not the ones who are speaking, presumably. But uh, the, uh, 
uh, we know that from other places in scripture that Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him until until after right. the resurrection. And but then they became, you know, powerful uh, uh, proclaimers of the gospel and, and leaders in the church. Uh, he's just he's too familiar. They they cannot imagine that the boy they watch grow up can be who he claims to be. So they know his mother, they know his father, they know um, they know his brothers, and it says his sisters are there with him. And I I don't know how many other commentators take this take this perspective. I think that means that they that these guys in the crowd were married to his sisters. I, th I think that this crowd includes hmm, Jesus's brothers-in-law. Um, so I think what that's what they mean when they say his sisters are here with us. We're married to his sisters. <laughs> you know, so the, they have intimate knowledge of this Jesus. They know him quite well. How does he claim to be what he is? And a, a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. I mean, that's that's the that's the sad thing, and that and it's really going to get played out on a larger scale at the uh, before the the governor's palace in Jerusalem uh, when his own people refuse him. Right, and ironically, uh, I guess if we can use that word, Jesus came to his own, and his own rejected him. Both, I guess, in this microcosm here, and of course on the grander scale too. And, and certainly not to compare you or me to Jesus, but as pastors, we experience this a little bit too, do we not? Or at least I have. Um, you know, people, you grow up, you uh, you are a certain way, and people know you, and then they're kind of surprised when you are, uh, oh, you're a pastor now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, perhaps not everybody's that way. But at the same time, you know, we don't typically send pastors to serve in their home congregations. We typically discourage people from even having a vicar that turns into a pastor, except in special circumstances, because there is this idea that um, familiarity can sometimes breed, well, frankly, contempt is the word, but maybe just uh, uh, just too much, not, not, not a level of respect that's sometimes required to do the job. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, so in order to properly apply God's God's word, especially of law, <laughs> um, you know, there there needs to be just a little bit of distance. Um, and you know, if you, I, if you were in diapers in a congregation, um, that it's kind of hard to, kind of hard to have that distance. Um, you know, and I've I've had the the privilege. You know, it, was a, it was it was a privilege, but it was kind of strange of being the pastor of some college friends. And uh, fortunately we had a second pastor there. So I, I, did, I didn't necessarily have direct, have to do, you know, direct pastoral care, but that would have been, I, you know, obviously if I'm the pastor and, and they're my members, we'll, we'll all make it work out, but it would have been a little bit odd. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's that familiarity, having that relationship on a different plane uh, does make it a little difficult for the for the pastor to do his work. Maybe not impossible, but it certainly it certainly does provide some difficulties. Certainly not impossible, but I think any pastor who's married or any woman who's married to a pastor can tell you, you know, that close relationship sometimes gets in the way of you know that person being able to pastor you. Now, sure. of course, that's a completely different situation than Jesus, but it has some similar overtones. Mm -hmm. You know, these people looked at him and they said. Where did this man, so they don't see him as anything other than a man, get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? So what I think is fascinating is that even though they are skeptical of him, they still acknowledge that he has teachings and wisdom and the ability to do mighty works. 
yeah, there, there's big stuff happening with this Jesus, <laughs> but, uh, but they just can't understand where, you know, this, this is the guy who grew up down our street. Um, right. you know, this, this is Nazareth. Um, so what, how can, well, it's similar to what, uh, um, Nathaniel said, right? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, the, the people of Nazareth are saying the same thing here. Uh, you know, they, we, we, how, how can anything good come out of this, this little town here? Um, and, and they just don't get it. And unfortunately the stumbling blocks to faith are many. And unfortunately for these, these yeah. folks, the stumbling block is that they knew this Jesus, they'd grown up with him. Well, here we are at the end of our time together, uh, just a minute or so left. Anything else you'd like the people to know, perhaps that uh, you didn't have time to emphasize because I was leading you down all kinds of crazy paths? <laughs> <laughs> I, the, the identity of Jesus is certainly at issue throughout, throughout the Gospels, all four Gospels. And, and in Mark, it is who, who is this Jesus? What is going on with him? And I, 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 maybe you've discussed this already, but the, the only times that Jesus is called the Son of God is at the very first verse of, the, of Mark's Gospel and then at the cross um, by the centurion of all people. And so everyone's trying to figure out who this Jesus is anyway. And we saw Jairus. We saw the woman with the flow of blood. Is their faith perfect? No. But they get Jesus better than the people who grew up with Jesus. And, uh, and, and they're all, everyone's trying to wrestle with what this guy is all about. And for, for even the readers of the gospel, we're, we're, we're wrestling with that until we get to the very end. And we see him as our crucified and resurrected Lord. And that is where we know that he is truly the Son of God. Well, I think that's a great word to end on this morning. I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend Christopher Morandi, pastor of St. John Lutheran Church in Hastings, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in Oakland, Iowa. Also, be sure to head to lutheransinag.org to see the great work he's doing there. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. It was a great joy. Thank you. Folks, tomorrow when we get back together, it'll be Reformation Day, but also we're going to be covering Mark 6, 7 through 29. And in this passage, Jesus is sending out his disciples on that mission of preaching and healing. But then the passage takes a dark turn with the chilling account of the beheading of John the Baptist. Well, this juxtaposition between the disciples' empowered mission and John's tragic end highlights the challenges and sacrifices faced by those who bear witness to the truth. We're going to talk about that and the cost of discipleship tomorrow. So we'll see you then. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word. <laughs>